0: I'd invite you to turn with me in your Bibles if you have them. You'll notice in front of you there are no Bibles. We took those out because that's a communal thing that people can touch, and there's no touchy-touchy, so we got rid of them. So we encourage you over the next couple of weeks and months to bring your own. I think it'll be up. Is it supposed to be? Is it going to be up there, Jen, behind me? Yeah, okay, so it it will be up there, but I do encourage you, bring your Bible. Have it, your your personal Bible here with you, and open it to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, we'll begin at the beginning and we will read the first two verses. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I debated because I've never never been able to work through a book before. This is the one thing that every guest preacher or part-time preacher has to do is what text do you do? And so now that I actually know what I'm doing and I know what to work through and I know what my goal is and what I'm aiming for, now my challenge, not biting off more than I can chew. And so the first two verses... It seems like the typical introduction, right? We've read this before. If you've read one of Paul's letters, you've seen this before in some form. Paul, they address themselves, they, they tell, they tell the, the reader who is addressing them, who is writing to them. And usually it's just Paul, an apostle. But here it's Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. To all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's some introductory things that we should work through before we actually dive into this these couple of verses and we we see it right in the middle of verse 1 whom does Paul write to? He's writing to all of God's holy people or all of God's saints. All of the people who are followers of Jesus Christ, those who would say that they have faith in Jesus. He is writing to all of them. That word all it'll pop up a few times as we go through the book. Because there's a heavy emphasis on unity that Paul is trying to bring in. All of God's holy people. That phrase actually brackets the whole book. It's here in verse 1 of chapter 1. And it's in verse 21 of chapter 4. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. It's what's at the beginning and what's at the end. And it's, it's as if Paul's trying to emphasize that everything in between, this is for you. This is for you, God's child, God's chosen people. Follower of Jesus Christ, what's in here is for you. One of the things that I think being distanced from when Paul wrote this almost 2,000 years ago, we have the church at Philippi. And we can look that up on a map. We can figure out where that is geographically. We can figure out how far it was from Jerusalem. And Paul on his missionary journeys, where he went and what he did But we sometimes subtract and remove the faces that would have been there. This church, we're told, have a few specific names. There are people mentioned in chapter 4, and we'll get to that later. There are people mentioned in chapter 2. There are people that aren't mentioned in this book, but are mentioned in Acts chapter 16. Acts 16 is the recount of Paul on his missionary journey. And this church very well may have included Lydia of Thyatira. She was one of the first. She's the first missionary convert when Paul arrives in Philippi. You think of the Philippian jailer, Paul and Silas, preaching, thrown into jail. And then there's that that Sunday school story that we have of Paul and Silas, in prison and the the earth begins to shake and the bars break and, and the chains come off and the Philippian jailer's there and he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, don't kill yourself. We are all here, don't worry. And the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And he and his whole household become saved and become baptized. They would have been a part of this church. Not necessarily that small gathering in whatever house they would have been gathering in, but to the church, the whole church at Philippi, wherever you meet, Whoever you are, all of you, this is for you. Why does Paul write to them? He writes with a couple of purposes. He writes to thank them for a gift, and we'll get to that in Philippians 4. They had sent a gift to him, financial gift, financial support to help him in his time of need. He wanted to thank them. He didn't want to just let it be assumed that they knew that he was thankful. There are some times where it's, it's obvious that by the reaction, when, I, when my children receive a gift, whether it's from their grandparents or from us for their birthday or Christmas or whatever, there's a reason why, even though their reaction shows that they're grateful and shows that they're thankful, there's a reason we still say and instruct them, now go say thank you to Papa. Why? It's pretty obvious. Papa's sitting right there and he can see what's going on. But it should still be said. You should be able to express and you should tell people actually when you're thankful. He wants to assure them, he wants to let them know. Another reason that he's writing to them let them know that Epaphrodites, Epaphroditus, however you want to pronounce it, that he's okay. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to get to that later, a few weeks down the road. But he was sick. He was deathly ill, almost died. And Paul writes back to let them know he's okay. Epaphroditus was a very important part of the church. He's a very important part of Paul's life, Paul's ministry. He works together closely with Paul and Timothy. And they were worried that he might be gone. And he writes to let them know that he's okay. Another reason that he writes to them. And this becomes... Exceedingly clear as you work through the book. He wants to tell the believers in Philippi, live like Christ. Live like Jesus. Live according to the gospel. And there will be an appeal primarily through unity. Come together. Have one mind. Have one focus. Be together. Work together. Live like Jesus in the way that you come together as a community and live together and work together for the gospel. So Paul writes to all the believers in Philippi for a couple of different reasons, for a couple of different um, purposes, and where is Paul writing from? Probably Rome. There's a couple of references later to the palace guard, praetorium guard, that, that was in Rome. There are a couple of different um, ex- possible explanations for why it's not Rome. I think Rome has the greater evidence, so we're going to say Rome. Rome. But what we do know, whether it's Rome, Ephesus, wherever you, whatever other city you might throw out there, in some sense it doesn't really matter because where he's writing from is prison. That becomes exceedingly clear through the multiple references to chains and suffering. The multiple times that he references those things and says, I am suffering for the sake of the gospel. I am suffering, I am in prison, I am in chains for the name of Jesus Christ. That's where he's writing from. And we know Paul was in prison a lot, right? Right? Right, Like, you you read through Acts, you read through his letters, and you recognize that Paul was in prison a lot. He was beaten a lot. He was persecuted a lot for the name of Jesus Christ. But have you ever thought about how weird it is that Paul's the one writing to encourage the church from prison? That it's not the church, although there were letters, because they sent Epaphroditus to Paul, to give him a gift, to let them know how they were doing. What we have is a letter from a prisoner for the gospel who is more concerned about the believers in Philippi than he is about his own personal safety. He cares more about what's going on with the believers than his personal comfort. And can you imagine what it would be like for us not the same because Paul, writing as an apostle, writes with different authority than other churches and other believers. Can you imagine getting a church, getting a letter from the church in China, encouraging us, saying, band together. Come together and be unified in your goal. Thank you for your prayers, for your support. Thank you for sending people to preach and to teach. Thank you for your help, your pick any other closed country. And you get a letter from them encouraging you, exhorting you to live like Christ. The people who have far more on their plate than we could ever think of and they are concerned for us. That's what Paul is doing. And the one thing that dominates his whole letter is joy. Joy. If, if you've heard messages on the book of Philippians before, you will, you will know that Philippians is the letter of joy. Paul is communicating joy, rejoicing. And the term joy far, far outweighs salvation, believe, faith, grace. Those words are in here. They are a part of his letter, but joy far outweighs them. He is always rejoicing, always giving cause for joy, calling the believers in Philippi to have joy with him, to rejoice with him but we don't want to miss the emphasis in chapter 1 and the root of Paul's joy. The gospel is priority number one. The gospel comes first. The gospel is the source of Paul's joy. Not his financial situation, not his current physical situation in whatever prison he might find him in, not whatever persecution, suffering, or harm he may personally be feeling, His joy is not found in his current situation. His joy is found in the God of the gospel, Jesus Christ. And we need to keep that right in front of us as we work through the next couple of messages. As we get through at least chapter one, keep the gospel at the front of your mind as we come to our passage in Philippians 1. And it's just the intro. But the gospel's there. The gospel is in verses one and two. The gospel is in Paul's greeting to God's people. The first time, there's three, there's three times that you actually see Jesus mentioned in these first two verses. The first time is right at the beginning. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Servants of Christ Jesus. That's a little different than Paul normally introduces himself in his letters. It's usually Paul an apostle. Timothy's not an apostle, but Paul's not below calling himself a servant of Jesus Christ. That is who, what he truly is just a servant. Yes, he has been given greater authority in certain contexts, in certain ways in the church because Jesus Christ has given him the authority of the apostle. But working side by side with Timothy, they're brothers, they're servants. They are who they are and do what they do because they believe in and serve Jesus Christ. That's what's brought them together. Paul, on his missionary journeys, he first went out with Barnabas. Do you remember your early church history? A little bit. Paul and Barnabas set out and do their first missionary journey. They go out and around and they preach to multiple different cities. They set up different church plants. And on the second one, they have a little spat. This is in the beginning of um, Acts 16. End of chapter 15, technically, is when he and Barnabas have a disagreement. And so Paul takes Silas and goes off on one direction and Barnabas takes John Mark and goes off in another. And the disagreement was, do we take Mark with us or not? Paul says no, Barnabas says yes, so they split off, both doing gospel work. Both working together for the same priority, preaching the gospel. And along that second journey, Paul and Silas pick up Timothy in his city. Paul recognizes his giftings and abilities and he brings him along the gospel is what brought them together. Paul and Timothy met precisely because of Jesus Christ, because of the gospel. It's what unites them in their work. It's what actually brings them together and why they actually meet together. I don't want to insult any of you. This might sound insulting. That's never a good way to precursor what you're about to say because you're automatically waiting for me to insult you now. Do you realize that I wouldn't know any of you I would not be friends with any of you if it were not for the gospel. And that's not to insult any of you personally, but we came together because of the gospel. I only have met you because we met here because of the gospel. I don't think there's anybody I knew prior to coming here. And that's a direct result of Jesus Christ. What brings us together, what brought Paul and Timothy together was the work of the gospel and what brings us together is the work of the gospel. Preaching the gospel is their sole purpose. It's all they care about. Not staying safe, not worrying about persecution and suffering, but their sole purpose is to preach the gospel. The second time we see it, we see Jesus Christ mentioned in just a couple of sentences is halfway through verse 1 to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus the gospel is what brought Paul and Timothy together and it's what brought Timothy, Paul, Silas and these believers together it's what ha- it's what made the church plant in Acts 16 it's what led them to the riverside to preach the gospel where Lydia heard it's what led them to prison where the Philippian jailer and his family heard the gospel. And so they they write back to these people and they say, everyone who is in Christ Jesus, this is for you. That phrase, in Christ. It's so easy to skip through stuff and skip past stuff because we've read it before and because we've seen it before. That phrase, in Christ, that's big for Paul. It should be big for us. In Christ is shorthand for salvation for believing the gospel, for the gospel message to take effect in your life. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, you are in Christ. Positionally. That means all, all sorts of different things that we could spend days working through. Justification by faith, union with and participation in Christ's completed work. What we're told when Paul writes to all God's holy people in Christ, What Paul is saying, without actually having to say it, he's saying that for all of you who are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, all of you who have had your sins washed away by the blood of the Lamb, all of you who now before the Father, positionally, have Christ's righteousness, His goodness, His perfection, His holiness, His inheritance, everything that is Christ is now yours. That's what it means to be in Christ. To all of you who are in Christ Jesus, Don't forget that the gospel is what brought you together and the gospel is everything to you. Never get bored of the gospel. Never get bored of hearing Jesus Christ died to save sinners. Never get bored of hearing Jesus Christ died so that you might stand one day before the Father clothed in his righteousness divine. What's Christ's is yours. A little bit of analogy in terms of when you get married, right? What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. A little bit of that. But when we talk about what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours in marriage, there's a mixing of good and bad on both sides. Because, my wife will tell you, I have my own faults that are displayed in unique ways in our marriage. I think I have some good things that I bring to our marriage, I'd like to think so anyways. And, and it's true, the reverse, right? So there's a mixing of good and bad. What's yours is mine, what's mine is yours, and we work together in God's grace to figure out what's going on. When we do that with Jesus, when we are in Him, what's His becomes mine, and He brings no baggage. He brings nothing wrong, nothing bad, and all I bring to the table, according to Scripture, is Garbage. All I've got is sin and filth. And what's his is now mine because he took what was mine upon himself and bore it on the tree of Calvary and he paid it all. And so we need to keep that in mind because I, I fear too many times, at least personally, when I'm living my life normally. The pandemic's a good excuse to reassess what's normal in your life. But when things are normal, we may say that we are saved by grace alone and yet we live differently. And we expect that, and we wouldn't say this, but we've got it in the back of our minds that perhaps when we die and go to heaven, and the proverbial potential that's not really real, when God is standing at the pearly gates and he says, why should I let you in? We all intellectually know we have to say because of Jesus. But when we live our lives, it's really well, I'm pretty good. Did anybody else get that temptation? That really, that I I know it's Jesus Christ. I know I have to be in him for any hope of salvation. And yet when I live my life, I'm actually patting myself on the back more than I should. There's no sense of humility and understanding of who God is and who I am and what has actually happened in the great exchange of Christ's righteousness for my sin. And so when that question is asked, if your answer is anything other than you shouldn't let me in, but I'm with him. If that's not your answer, you're not in Christ. I'm with him. My grandmother passed away three and a half weeks ago. She had a battle with cancer for the past. Oh, well, she'd been battling forms of cancer for many years, but really for the past year it was bad. And we had a funeral for her, just our family that was live streamed, broadcasted all over the world which was pretty cool. There were people in Malawi where they were missionaries that were tuning in and watching, and that was pretty cool. And we said some wonderful things about my grandmother. She was, not to insult anybody, the most gracious, kind, loving, warm, compassionate, godly woman I have ever met. And yet, her plea before the Father when she went to glory was not, Lord, did you hear all those wonderful things they said about me? It was, I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. I am in him. What's his is mine. Don't lose sight of that. That's why we come back to it. That's why a book of Philippians that you could have read a thousand times before, we come back to the gospel. The third time we see Jesus in the introduction, in the greeting... Is right at the end there. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. I think we've heard that a few times over the past eight and a half years. Steve stole it from Paul. And my dad always said, Son, every preacher steals from someone. Just make sure you're stealing from the good ones. And grace and peace is again, shorthand for Paul. It's shorthand for the gospel. This is the essence of Paul's theology. If you could break down what is Paul talking about in the book of Romans? What is Paul talking about in the book of Galatians, in Ephesians, in Philippians? What is he talking about when he talks about the gospel? He is saying, you have been saved by grace and you now have peace with God because of what Christ has done. That's it. Saved by grace through faith. And peace has come to you relationally because of what Christ has done. Jesus Christ, this is where Paul adds, not as just an add on because he couldn't think of anything else. Paul puts, Jesus is Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll come to the, the Christ hymn in Philippians 2. But this is where we need to stop and recognize. And I think more appropriately now than ever that Jesus is Lord. We have peace with God because of what Christ has done. We have been shown grace. We have been given grace more and more and more. And now we need to recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord, no one else. You are not Lord of your life. You cannot control your life. If the last six months hasn't made that abundantly clear, I don't know what would. You are not in control, the government is not in control. You have no idea what's going on. I don't think anybody has any idea what's going on, but Jesus Christ does. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is not on his throne wondering what's going on down here on earth. He is not wondering, what in the world am I going to do? Jesus Christ knows because he is Lord. And the question we get to in Philippians 2 when we work through that Christ, him when every knee will bow, is your knee bowed now? Because it will bow. And so our question is, before we even get to the meat of what Paul has done, we're we're not even out of his introduction. The, The biggest question you have to ask right now for yourself is, are you in Christ? Have you come to faith in him? Do you believe and trust and know him? Is Jesus Lord of your life? He is, but have you recognized that? Have you submitted to his rule? Have you submitted to his reign, to his word, to his instruction? We have much to worry about and wade through and figure out as we start church again, as we start meeting together, as, as we figure out what to do with school, as we figure out what to do with work. Are you leaning on Jesus, the Lord of this world? Is that where your trust is? Is it in Him or yourself and your own ability? Be found in Him. Trust Jesus I remember hearing an old pastor say, you can trust Jesus. You can go all in with him because I've read the end of the book. Jesus wins. It's okay. And you read the book of Revelation. We got a taste of that when Steve worked through the first couple of chapters. When you read the book of Revelation, you're going, oh my goodness, what is going on? Nobody has any clue what's happening. And I feel like that even, I'm not saying we're in Revelation, and that's exactly how we apply to us. But I feel that. What in the world is going on? It's okay. Jesus is Lord. Jesus wins. Do you trust him today? Trust him completely. Trust him more fully. Father, help us. We need your help to trust you more. We need your help to see Jesus more. We need your help. If over the next couple of weeks and months we are going to have any sanity, thank you for your grace. Give us more. For Jesus' sake, amen.